Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. The number is 855-4-GARTEN, G-A-R-T-E-N. Again, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is how you can get us. And guys, what a week we have ahead of us. Look, it is getting down to the nitty-gritty. It is getting down to playoff time without actually being the NFL playoffs. Yeah, that's right. Look, it's elimination time for a lot of these teams, and we're going to get into that. Which ones to avoid, which ones to stay with. We're also going to get into a lot of big-time favorites. I mean, double-digit, massive favorites on the board this week. How do you take advantage of that? How do you capitalize it? How do you attack that late in the season here? We're going to take a look at that. But we don't spend a lot of time on college football here because it is an NFL-centric show. I only have about an hour. I do want to get into the championship games because, look, I think it's very important. Um, We've seen this postseason, this this playoff season, this bowl season, really, over the last couple of years, where, you know, the lines are relatively accurate, or we watch giant blowouts, right? I mean, it's either, okay, we kind of saw that happening, or, or, whoa, whoa, that's an absolute blowout. This year, kind of the same, right? I mean, we're kind of in the same boat. Alabama comes in as a 13.5 point favorite over Cincinnati. The over-under started at 59, went down to 57. You can still get some 57.5s out there. A lot of people are expecting, again, that massive blowout for the new year here. And then you get into, uh, you know, the other game where I don't think anybody's expecting a blowout, but it wouldn't shock anyone. I don't think it would blow anyone's, uh, you know, doors off here. If Georgia, who is more than a touchdown favorite at seven and a half, blew out Michigan, 45 and a half is the total there. So I'm looking at two games on the board in, the, in this big time playoff matchup. And I'm saying, I think people sort of expect blowouts, but I don't know if I could agree with that. And I, I want to take a look at these games a little bit in depth so we can have a conversation and, and let's really take a, a good hard look. The first game, We'll talk about number one, Alabama. And let me put this out there. Look, I don't care if you believe that Alabama should be there or not. I don't care if you believe that number one should be Alabama. I'll tell you my take on it. Look, I don't think Alabama has any right to play in this game as the number one overall seed. None at all. I think it should be Michigan. Now, that doesn't mean as a handicapper, as a sports better, as someone who is breaking the game down, I don't understand how good Alabama is. It's called deserving. I think Alabama should be favored over everybody in the country. But again, I think that the team that got there, went down the line, and earned it was Michigan. 
That doesn't mean that I don't think Alabama should be favored. So Alabama comes in, and look, the Alabama Crimson Tide opened up. They destroyed Miami right away, right? Um, you know, we know that. They absolutely routed them, but Miami's not exactly the same team, right? Then they had two easy victories. Then they lost to Texas A&M. They lost to an unranked team. They were not top 25 at the time. They lost to a team that I think we could all say had an underachieving year. It was in College Station. It was a three-point loss, but it seemed much bigger at the time. But I kept telling everybody, look, it doesn't matter. Alabama doesn't play by the same rules. And that's reality. Nick Saban's team then came out, and they beat up LSU. Ah, but not really. They beat them up and down, black and blue, but they only got a six-point win in a tough game. They beat Arkansas in a seven-point win in a game where it seemed like they were handling things, but Arkansas kept hanging in there. And then they beat Auburn 24-22 in four overtimes in a game that, let's be honest, Alabama didn't deserve to win. Auburn's starting quarterback was playing on literally one leg, or else Auburn wins that game. So while Alabama should be the favorite in my mind against everybody in the country, this is not the same dominant Alabama teams that we've seen. They lost to Texas A&M. They barely beat Florida, 31-29. They barely beat LSU, they won by six. They barely beat Arkansas, they won by seven. They barely beat Auburn, they won by two. So this notion of an absolute blowout and this team should go out there and stomp them, a little bit misleading when you do see that they've had quite a few very close games. Now you're talking about, look, Bryce Young, uh, quarterback, this is who he is. You, You look at what he's done and... You know, they go on and they destroy Georgia in the SEC title game. How much did Georgia really care about that game is a lot of the question that needs to be asked. Georgia knew if we lose, it doesn't really matter. Alabama had to win that game. They had to. Now, on the other side, you know, Luke Fickle's team, they go out. Look, they beat Miami of Ohio. They beat uh, Murray State. Then they go out and they win against Indiana and Notre Dame. And there you go. All of a sudden, Indiana was supposed to be good this year. They wound up not being so good, but they were supposed to be good. That's a quality win. They beat Notre Dame, who a lot of people argued should have been in this top four. Very quality win, right? I mean, they handled the Hoosiers, too. They beat them by two touchdowns. And they went on the road in South Bend, and they beat Notre Dame, allowing just 13 points, and they beat Notre Dame by double digits. Now, Navy played them close, but I give that a little bit of a, you go, okay, I could deal with that because Navy's that kind of weird team. They run that weird offense. Uh, You know, I get that. Tulsa game worried me. I actually bet on Cincinnati in that game. Um, The Tulsa game worried me. They only won by eight, but they really were completely in control of that game. Okay. Then they went out, they beat SMU, they beat Eastern Carolina, who could have been a dangerous team. And they beat Houston, and they beat these teams by 118 to 47 score. They absolutely own them. They own them. So now you look at what is what is going to happen here. Look, Alabama is a quite different team than what we are used to with Alabama. But maybe they're not as good as the Alabama teams of the past, but they still have a lot of the same things. Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young at quarterback. Yeah, he reminds you a lot of the recent Alabama teams that put dynamic quarterbacks up there. Right? I mean, they absolutely absolutely dynamic quarterbacks. Mac Jones, look at what he's doing, right? Tua, these guys were fantastic. And the Crimson Tide averaged 42.5 points per game. 
6.7 yards per snap. That's unbelievable. And they have big play guys, huge play guys. So Bill O'Brien is the guy. You might not like him, but he's really revamped this offense into being that explosive offense once again. And they torched Georgia 400 yards plus against Georgia. So Young is the guy that you're leaning on. O'Brien is the guy that you're leaning on. And this is what Alabama is. And this is what they've been for a little while. The defense, by the way, look, the defense is still solid, but it's not that dominating defense that we had, you know, uh, what, a generation ago, a decade ago, even five, six years ago. It's now become that offense-first mentality, and that's something you could give Nick Saban credit for, but it's also something that could burn them here. They held, look, LSU and Auburn were able to contain the offense of the Crimson Tide, but the defense wound up stepping up. Now, the defense is very good. They only, they only allow about 16 points per game. They, they're very good, but they're going up against somebody else that is very good. Cincinnati, look, they are a defense that is solid across the board. There's nothing you could pick on them, right? You can't pick on them. They don't run uh, rush the passer great, but everything else works, right? The secondary is really good. They have two All-Americans. That's fantastic. The defense might not get to the to the quarterback, but you know what? They are ranked number one nationally at pass efficiency defense. So a lot of that is because of the back end. Alabama's offense is going to have to try to run the ball here to get success, but that kind of feeds into what Cincinnati wants. Cincinnati wants that kind of offense. They want you to do that. So while they might be outmatched, I think Cincinnati's strengths lie where they can win battles here. They can win these battles. On the other side of the ball, look, Cincinnati, their offense is all about Desmond Ritter, who is a four-year starter. That means something here. He's not going to get rattled in this big game. I don't think so. The rest of Cincinnati, look, they haven't been there. I don't think Ritter gets rattled here. They average almost 40 points a game, guys. Okay? And they scored 30-plus points in 10 of the last 13 games. There's a reason why this over-under is where it sits. And you could talk about Ritter, and I could go on and how good he is, and he really is very good. And you go all the way back to the Peach Bowl last year, right? It, it, he was held to only about 200 yards against Georgia, but he did throw two touchdowns against Notre Dame in that very tough game, going into a low-scoring game, going into a game where they limited possessions, going into a game where it was on the road against a good Notre Dame team, 300 yards, 320-something yards. So Ritter's the guy, Okay. But he does have an All-American at wide receiver. Um, the running back, Ford, he rushed for 1,200 yards, 19 touchdowns, led the ACC uh, with explosive plays. So they do have a lot that they can attack. And Alabama's defense, look, they give up about 20 points per game. Uh, but you are looking at a team that gives up almost five yards per snap. So there you go, right? You you do look at this defense where it's a Alabama defense that's good, they're very good, but they're not quite dynamically great, okay? They have been on a pass-rushing, just absolute dynamo attack here. And you look at Will Anderson, who might be the most underrated player in the sport right now. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, I do understand the Alabama blowout conversation. You give Saban time. You give Saban time to prepare. The last time we saw this team, they've gotten nothing but better throughout the year. But I can't help but look back in my mind and say, wait a minute. Yeah, Alabama might win. But the spread's 13 and a half. I watched Alabama struggle against LSU. I watched Alabama struggle against Florida. I watched Alabama struggle against Auburn. I watched Alabama struggle 
in, let's be honest, half their games this year. Half their games. So no one's given Cincinnati a chance. Let me put the story uh, to rest here. Neither am I. I don't think Cincinnati wins this game. But I do think they could keep it competitive. I would not be laying the 13 and a half with Alabama. And maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'll be the guy that, you know what, I'm nuts and Alabama goes in there and wins it 40 to 10. I just don't like laying that 13 and a half. Now, I don't love taking it with Cincinnati. They're not the team that I want to take that with. But I certainly don't love all the money coming in on Alabama, all the obvious money coming in on Alabama. All right, what about the other game? Look, Georgia was the team. Throughout the season, I kept saying, man, they're the number one team, man, they're the number one defense. They actually had more five-star recruits on their defense than the entire Pac-12 conference had combined, right? So that'll tell you a little something about how good Georgia is. But they played a pretty weak schedule. They really didn't dominate over anybody. Uh, in, in That really mattered, right? They lost against Alabama. This opened up at about a six and a half or a seven. It went up to seven and a half. And this is kind of where it's at. People do believe in Michigan. You look at Georgia and oh, look, Georgia was absolutely going crazy. But again, how much do you believe in what Georgia was as a product of their schedule? You can talk to me about the SEC and how good they are. Look, Georgia's schedule, they beat up on weak teams. That's where their defensive metrics came out. They beat up on weak teams. Now, their defense is still premier. It's still absolutely fantastic. It's still, like I just said, has massive, massive talent, okay? But they were just exposed by Alabama. Now, is that a situation where you are looking at this and you're saying, man, Alabama exposed them and somebody else can take advantage? I'm not sure, right? I, I'm not sure if that's what we're seeing. How about Michigan's defense? Michigan's defense tied for four, number four scoring defense in the country. Okay, they actually hold teams to less than Alabama. When I was talking about less than Georgia, they're 16 points per game. They so this is a defensive battle. Which defense can hold up? Well, I've watched Michigan's defense struggle at times, but not consistently uh, during a course of a game. At times, I've watched Georgia's defense struggle mightily against Alabama. Now there's some film there. Now there's some film. I think Michigan is in a position where, you know. They're asking their offense to not lose it. They don't have a Bryce Young on this team. We know that. So they're going to ask them really not to lose this game. The thing with that mentality is, did the Wolverines do that when they just absolutely boat raced Ohio State? And let's let's not sugarcoat that. Ohio State came in as the absolute favorite. Ohio State had the best offense in the country at the time that they played. And Ohio State put up only 27 points. Michigan put up 42 they bludgeoned them. They made it an in-the-dirt, nasty, fist-fight kind of game. And that's what Michigan needs to do here. Michigan needs to make this that ugly game, that who's going to hit harder type of game. That's what they're going to have to do. Because Georgia only allows about 10 points on average. They hold opposing offenses to 253 total yards per game. This defense is fantastic. So you're going to have to ask Cade McNamara you know, to do things that Bryce Young did. I don't think he could do that, which means it's going to be on the running game. And the rushing attack is fantastic, over 220 yards per game, okay? Corum and Haskins, they are going to play that backyard style. They're going to run it at you. They're going to not do anything special. If Georgia sells out on the run, this game is all about the quarterback for Michigan. It's all about Cade. Now, we watched them do exactly the same thing. And Bryce Young stepped up and said, sure, make it all about me and watch what I can do. Cade McNamara is going to have to do it here. 
Now, Michigan can get by, and they can keep this close, and they can make this a four-quarter game by running the ball, by being physical, by just being that aggressive team, that nasty team. Michigan can go physical, and they can play this game close. And they could go to Haskins, and they could go to Corum, and they could just go absolutely, you know, absolutely old school and just run, 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 run. They can do that and be relatively successful. But the Bulldogs only allow 82 yards rushing per game. The Bulldogs are in a position where they know they're going to sell out for the rush. So, the question comes down to, again, can Cade McNamara make a play or two to get Michigan the win? I don't think so. I'm rooting for Michigan. I think Michigan is a fun team. I like the style of we're just tougher than you. I like the style of we're coming after you. We're down. We're dirty. We're going to get nasty out there. I love that style of football. I love that they play that style of football. The reality, though, here is that that style of football feeds into what Georgia does well. And at the end of the day, Cade McNamara is going to have to make some plays. And it's going to have to not only be him making plays, but Harbaugh has to have confidence to call the number of him to go out there and make these plays. So I think Michigan can keep it close. I think Cincinnati can keep it close. But I understand why money's pouring in on the other side for both. I do think that this Michigan game will probably play to the under. I just think it's a very low under. And I think that the Alabama game probably plays to an over. But I think it's a little bit of a high over. You know, this goes into my theory that there are so many bowl games. Why touch these two bowl games? I don't like the SEC. I don't think that the SEC deserves two teams here. I don't think Alabama should be number one. Alabama should be two playing Georgia number three. And this should be Michigan against Cincinnati. That would be the way to, to make everything fair. But we don't have that. So you can't go back and be anti-SEC, anti-Alabama, anti-Georgia, just don't like them, and bet with that, and with that emotion. We've got to sit back, and we have to take this and go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to handicap the game, the game that they gave us. Handicap the game with the game in front of us. Not, I'm rooting for Cincinnati, so I'm going to throw some bucks on them. Not, I'm rooting for Michigan, I love Arbo, I don't want to see an SEC-SEC rematch again. None of us want to. But we don't want to also sit back and lose money. We don't want to sit back in this position and lose money because of what we want. Because of our pride. Because we don't like the college football setup. We don't want to lose money that way. So while I can make a pretty good case why Cincinnati plus the points makes sense. I can make a pretty good case why Michigan plus the points makes sense. I do understand that these are correct lines. Talking to people, lines makers around the country for the last couple of months... Alabama should have been about a two-touchdown favorite over Cincinnati all the way through. And if Georgia faced them, they would have been about a two-touchdown favorite. Michigan, they're about a touchdown underdog to the two big boys because they know that the public's going to bet the SEC. They know that people are going to automatically go in there. I think that both of these lines are off by about two points. I would have made I would have made Michigan a six-and-a-half-point underdog, and I would have had Cincinnati about, a, about plus 11. Okay, but I get where where they're going. So with all in all said, look, I'm telling you now, I am not putting any of my clients on either one of these games. I won't take them. I am not putting a dollar to my own name on either one of these games. I won't take them. But I can tell you there might be some value in Cincinnati and there might be some value in Michigan. I like the under a little bit in that Michigan game and I like the over a little bit in that Alabama game.
So that's where I stand with it. Unfortunately, I do think we're going to get an SEC against SEC battle. I think that that's what we're looking at. And when we start to look at that, guys, it's depressing, but I get it. Here we go again. Another SEC bias conversation we can have. All right, guys. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, lots more to do. We're going to turn our attention to the NFL. Huge spreads this week and a lot of playoff implications. All that and more right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I told you what the odds were for each and every game coming up for the Final Four here. But how about the odds to win the national championship? Well, we have odds up at Alabama at plus 120, Georgia plus 135, Michigan plus 750, and Cincinnati is still 14 to 1 odds if you go bet it right now. Now, to take what are the odds a little bit further here, guys, Alabama had been favored in 92 consecutive games before the Georgia game, but... If they meet again for the national championship, what are the odds? Well, the odds would be Alabama would once again be a favorite, and they'd be a pretty considerable favorite as well, more than a field goal, according to most analysts that I'm talking to. So that is what are the odds? Hey, you know, everybody uh, jumping on Alabama with that one win, and all of a sudden, here you go, right? Now, one win, and all of a sudden, you know, this is what you have with the Alabama Crimson Tide, and I understand it. I really do. You can agree with it. I, I I don't like Alabama. I don't agree that Alabama earned their way here, but I get it, right? I absolutely get it. All right, let's go over the NFL games here. Lots of massive spreads on the board. We're going to start off rotation number 101. It's Las Vegas, Indianapolis. Now, the problem with Indy is uh, at the time that I'm talking, look, Carson Wentz, COVID problems, all kinds of indie player COVID problems, but Jonathan Taylor doesn't. And you start to look at this game where Indy against Vegas, it's in Indy. Indy's been red hot. Can Indy minus the seven cover that number with all of their COVID issues, including their starting quarterback? You know, Carson Wentz gets a bad deal sometimes. And I think that, you know, the idea that Sam Ellinger has played games this year, the idea that they have played and won games without Carson Wentz, and the idea that Carson Wentz maybe isn't very good is bringing this line down a little bit. Now, there is some speculation that, uh, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, they can just run their way to victory here. And maybe they can. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is that good. I'm not going to doubt his talent. But Las Vegas is also a feisty team when we've seen them at times this year. Look, Las Vegas' offense has been bad for five of the last six weeks. They haven't been very good. But Darren Waller should be back for this one, and I do believe that he's that giant difference maker. You also look at them going onto turf, and that kind of helps out Las Vegas. And you look at what Indy might be missing. They're going to be missing some offensive linemen. That means Max Crosby, who's severely underrated in this league, can get to the quarterback. And if that quarterback isn't an experienced quarterback, even if he's not a massive jump up or jump down, or Carson Wentz isn't a massive jump up, and it's not a giant jump down, from a pressure standpoint, it certainly can be. So this should be a Jonathan Taylor game. I understand that. I get it. And this should be a game where Indianapolis is able to walk away with a victory def- you know, despite all of their problems and their issues. But the COVID issues are issues, right? I mean, a COVID problem is a problem that we really have to stop and take a look at. 
I don't like to bet this game. I guess I kind of lean Indy, but Vegas can be that nasty team that just kind of ruins everything for Indy if Darren Waller's healthy and if all of a sudden Max Crosby could get into the backfield. Let's talk about Bears, Giants. No playoff implications here. Bears, though, open as a four-point favorite. People seem to love them. They're up to five in some spots like FanDuel. They're up to six at the Superbook and Circus. So it's going up. Even WinBet right now, it's a six right now. Caesar Sportsbook, it's a five and a half. BetMGM is a six. So you're starting to see it rise and rise and rise. Justin Fields should play in this one, but even if he's not, I think we saw out, out enough out of Nick Foles to say he's commendable. Well, he's better than Jake Fromm or whatever the Giants are going to put together. And the, I say whatever they're going to put together because the Giants have been lackluster in putting together an offense all year long. Now, the Bears defensively, they have been missing some players over the course of the year. Sure, Khalil Mack is out for the season, but Eddie Jackson looks like he's back. I don't want to say completely healthy. But he's back on the field and playing well. Hicks, back on the field and playing well. Roquan Smith's been dealing with an injury the last two weeks. You wouldn't know it by his play on the field. He's been playing really well. So the Bears' defense has been banged up, but they've been playing efficiently. Now, the total on this game is 37 for a reason, because the Giants' defense has been playing well as well. Look, the Giants' defense can be taken advantage of, mostly on the back end. I think a lot of the questions are with, with the Bears' passing attack and uh, you know, you have basically Mooney and Cole Komet leading the charge. No one's kind of afraid of the back end here. And you're going to have to go with David Montgomery kind of power attack. The Chicago Bears should be favored here. I'm a Bears fan, guys, and I've said this many times. Um, I don't think they should be favored by nearly a touchdown against anybody in the NFL. And nearly a touchdown, I know that they're at home. But against anybody in the NFL, even Jake Fromm, it's just a little bit too rich for my blood. I think Chicago wins the game. I think their defense plays well. I think you get a little bit of a spark from the offense. But guys, when you turn it around and you look at this game, I think it's just a little too many points. All right, Tampa Bay Jets. Everyone's expecting a huge bounce back from Brady. They are now gone up from a minus 11 to a 13 and a half in some spots. By the way, if you're searching around, right, and this is, uh, this is you know, Thursday morning, early Thursday morning, Circus Sports is still a 12. Caesar Sportsbook is a 13 and a half. So you can kind of shop around and find out in Vegas where you want to go with these sportsbooks. But the Jets, look, they are at home. They're at home catching nearly two touchdowns. Wilson looked good last week. Look, Wilson has some talent. I don't think anybody ever doubted his talent. He doesn't have any weapons to work with. Robert Sala was out of the game last week because of COVID. He'll be back. This Jets team does do a few things well. You can run on them, though. And that is their big uh, problem area is you can run all day. Brady likes to throw on them. Over the middle, though, is usually wide open. So this sets up as an over-the-middle Antonio Brown type of game. If they flip it outside and they get it to Ronald Jones, he can have a lot of success defensively. The New York Jets cannot run the ball anyway, and Tampa can't be run on. Now, I did mention that three of their last five games, they were allowing 4.6 yards per carry, but Tampa Bay's defense and running style, uh, running defense, I should say, is just the style that they want to play. The Jets shouldn't try to run the ball at all. And Wilson, breaking those runs doesn't include my thought process into not trying to run the ball. But they're going to dare the New York Jets to throw the ball. We're going to find out a lot about Wilson here. Look, this could be one of those signature defensive games for the Tampa Bay Bucks because they've been needing one of these games for a while. The Jets come in. The Jets are kind of the perfect opponent to take down in this spot. That signature beat-em-up type of game. 
This might be that game for Tampa. I just can't lay 13.5 points even in this spot. It's on the road. It's a lot of points. It's cold and nasty in New York. And while I don't think they could run the ball, I do like Wilson's explosiveness and his ability to get outside the pocket might be the difference here. Not the difference between win and lose, the difference between a cover or not. Same thing with this Atlanta-Buffalo game. This game opened up as a 13. It's up to 14 and a half in most spots. You can still catch a 14 at Circus Sports. Everything else in the country seems to be 14 and a half. Look, I like Buffalo. I have said week after week after week, I gave Buffalo out to win the Super Bowl before the year began. Okay, And I thought the, the Buffalo Bills were the best team in the AFC for most of the year. They had a couple of blips on the radar screen. You can run on them. I mean, that's their biggest thing. But Cordell Patterson and Mike Davis do not scare me as consistent runners. Look, Patterson might break one, right? He might get outside the box and, and kind of turn one up or a flip out or, or something like that. He might create in space. But I don't think they're going to lower their head and run on them. Remember, the teams that beat up Buffalo on running the ball, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and the New England Patriots, it is just not something that teams consistently can do, although that is their one-week area. The Buffalo Bills are also coming off a big emotional win. you got to expect a little bit of a letdown there. But Orchard Park should be going crazy because Buffalo's now back in first place. They still have this division title in mind. The Atlanta Falcons, they're a better team than I've expected them to be, but they're still worse than their record. Most of Atlanta's wins this year have come in a way of you know beating up on bad teams. I mean, that's who Atlanta is right now. They beat up on bad teams. Well, Buffalo's not a bad team. And this Buffalo defense is still number two in the NFL scoring against. The Buffalo defense should absolutely shut down the Atlanta rushing attack. And then it's going to be up to Matt Ryan, who, by the way, only has one interception in the last five weeks. It's going to be up against Matt Ryan to move the ball downfield. Well, you expect Buffalo to kind of double cover Pitts. And Gage just isn't the guy to scare me. And he's not going to be the guy to go out there and scare this Buffalo defense. Buffalo's defense is vastly underrated here. Now, the total is sitting here at 44, 44 and a half, depending on where you shop. They do expect a low-scoring game. But if you look at the lines and you say, okay, laying 14, 14 and a half, and with a total of 44, we're now in a position where... You know, you're, the books are kind of telling you, we expect Buffalo to absolutely dominate defensively. But can you get a couple of scores from Atlanta? I mean, that's all you need to push this game over if you think the other side of this. And the other side of this is that Atlanta doesn't have a very good defense. Atlanta's defense can be thrown on. Atlanta's defense is going to be going up against Josh Allen in this spot. And Josh Allen in this spot can be very dangerous. Against any defense, Josh Allen can be dangerous. But against a defense that doesn't stay home like Atlanta, and against a defense that, you know, they're going to have to attempt to cover and double cover certain guys. How do you kind of double cover Stephon Diggs while you're also trying to have a spy on Josh Allen? It doesn't work. So I expect Josh Allen to have a big game, but this is a defensive-led team. I can't lay 14.5 points in an NFL game. But if there was a spot, this looks like it. It could be that spot. I'm leaning Atlanta with the points just because it's plus the points, but I do think Buffalo's defense has an absolutely awesome game here. Stick with the uh, 1 o'clock games. We'll go to Miami and Tennessee. Really good, interesting game here because you look at this Tennessee team. They have extra rest. Now they're at home. They're laying 3.5 against a Miami team that has won seven games in a row. And Miami looked really good on 
Monday Night Football against New Orleans. But again, we're going up against a fourth-string quarterback, a guy that we could not make the first string, second string, or third string on the New York Jets. Okay, So anybody's going to look good in that spot. But I like what Miami's doing. Waddle is fantastic, and I think he can have a field day against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's defense has been very good. And the total here is 39.5 for a reason. Tennessee's defense has been really good. Tennessee can't get anything done offensively. And the one thing about Ryan Tannehill here is he does turn the ball over a lot, and he can't push the ball downfield. I think this is a defensive game. I think everybody is coming in on Tennessee. And when I look at that, and I think that the numbers come in, showing nearly 80% of all bets are coming in on Tennessee. Who opened up as a three-point favorite. Now it's up to three and a half. Well, that makes a little bit of sense. Still catch some threes out there, by the way. Bet MGM Circus still at three. So, you're looking at that if you like Tennessee. Tennessee is getting healthier. They're getting some of their guys back. Tennessee might be a spot here where Miami's kind of living on a situation. They haven't played any good quarterbacks. They haven't beaten any good quarterbacks. My question is, is Ryan Tannehill a good quarterback? I think we all know the answer is absolutely not. So I lean Miami with the points because of defensive effort. I love to have the points. Speaking of points, biggest spread of the weekend. The New England Patriots are at home after getting beat in this spot. They're giving up 15 and a half points in certain spots, 16 and a half all the way up at FanDuel and points bet at 16 and a half, giving that up to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Look, Trevor Lawrence just looks bad. I mean, it's taken me this long to say it, but he's got like one touchdown in about two months. He just looks lost out there. And I thought Darren Bevel coming over would really help him out. And I I thought it would be, okay, you know what? We got rid of the cancer and Urban Meyer out there. We got rid of that in your mind and in your head. And let Trevor Lawrence open this thing up. New England's defense is the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They should have an absolute field day here. You cannot move the ball on New England. Their defense is going to be coming after them. Judon should have a field day against a Jacksonville offensive line that has given up sack after sack, at least pressure after pressure for most of the year. I'm done consistently backing on Jacksonville and saying they could have a good game. With that said, New England is the type of team that just beats teams up. They beat them all day. They run on them. They play good defense. But they don't blow them out because New England's style of offense is not to blow them out. I will also say this. I still don't have full confidence in Mac Jones. Mac Jones hasn't looked good in about a month. So can he look good against Jacksonville? Yeah, I think he can, but he's going to have to. The one thing this New England defense, I'm sorry, this Jacksonville defense can do against New England is stop the run. They actually are pretty good at stopping the run overall on the year. So if they can slow down, they're not going to stop them. If they can slow down Harris, they can slow down Stevenson. Well, that forces Mac Jones into a position of throw the ball downfield, which he doesn't do very well. This is not, even though it's going to be billed as, this is not Trevor Lawrence against Mac Jones at all. Don't look at it like that because that's an unfair comparison. This is the Jacksonville defense against what Mac Jones can do, and this is what can Trevor Lawrence pull out of his bag. Can he get anything done against the number one defense in the NFL in New England? I think New England wins. I think they win handedly. I just have a problem laying 16.5 points in any NFL game, even if you're at home, even if you're New England coming off a loss, even if you're Bill Belichick in, in December. I just have a problem with it. Let's go to Philadelphia and Washington. Real good game, and it would have been a better game if Washington could have, could have pulled out a win. Washington, last time we saw them, look, they were getting absolutely boat raced by the Dallas Cowboys. But that is the thing. I told you about this because this is now the second game that we're going to be watching between Washington and Philly in just a couple of weeks. Philly comes in as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The one thing about Washington, I told you last week, and we all know about it, not only did COVID COVID ravage this team, which they did, they had nine starters. Nine starters were out with COVID on Sunday night. Not only that, but they hadn't practiced together in full in over a week. 
and this secondary is bad. Here it is, strength against strength, weakness against weakness. The Washington football team is the third worst passing defense against, and the Philadelphia Eagles, third worst passing defense. Offense. So Philadelphia is going to have to go out there and take advantage of something that they don't do very well. They're going to have to push the ball downfield because Washington cannot defend it. And that Washington ranking that they were the third worst, that included when they had their starting safety, Landon Collins, ready to go and fully healthy. Well, Landon Collins was out last week. He's expected to be out this week. And all of a sudden, Washington is even worse on the back end here. Can Jalen Hurts push the ball downfield? Can Jalen Hurts get a little something going? Can Jalen Hurts give you the kind of production through the air that you're going to need to cover this road game? I don't believe in Jalen Hurts. I think Philadelphia can win the game. But in order to win this game, he's going to have to push the ball. And I can't put my money on Jalen Hurts right now. On the same respect, I don't trust Washington. I don't know how healthy they are. I don't know how much time they got uh, in there. I've had COVID. Look. It knocks you on your butt for a little while. A lot of these guys were not the asymptomatic type. They were actually hurting. So Washington, I kind of lean them. It's a divisional battle. You're getting points. I get it all. But, you know, you, you cannot get beat on the back end, and you can't get beat with deep passes by Smith and Rieger. You cannot have that happen in this game, or you might get your doors blown off. All right, let's talk about the best game of the weekend, in my opinion, and that is Kansas City in going to Cincinnati. And Kansas City is a five-point favorite in a spot where Cincinnati is still trying to say, we want respect. By the way, the total opened up at 47. It's up to 51.5. Everybody loves the over in this game. But people are forgetting how good Cincinnati's defense is and Kansas City's defense as well. KC's defense given up about 17 points per game over the last, uh, since like week seven. Their defense has really improved and they can get after the quarterback and play well. We have listened and learned that the Kansas City defense can evolve and they have evolved. But people are forgetting about Cincinnati's defense. Look, it's easy to forget when Joe Burrow goes out there and throws for 500 yards and five touchdowns. Very easy to forget when you have the potential offensive rookie of the year and Jamar Chase catching balls all over the place and T. Higgins with 200 yards receiving and Tyler Board is your third string option. I mean, come on. He's your third option there. Joe Mixon and company. This offense by Cincinnati is absolutely explosive and they should get all the recognition that they deserve. But Cincinnati defense is really good. And it's not only good in the statistical categories, because statistical-wise, they are the number four best rushing defense against in the NFL. Shouldn't be a problem with Kansas City, who doesn't like to run the ball anyway. But in the back end, look, I think Jesse Bates and company are doing a really good job. No, they don't have that dynamic number, because you cannot run on Cincinnati, so people just go out there and throw the ball. That's what's going to happen here. Kelsey's going to be back for this game, it looks like. Tyreek Hill's going to be back for this game and fully healthy. I expect Cincinnati to allow Kansas City to try to get underneath. And they're going to open up that running game and say, okay, you know what? If you guys want to run, we have a great running defense. We're going to dare you to. But Kansas City's not going to shy away from that. I think Mahomes tries to open it up. I think Mahomes tries to push this ball downfield. I think Mahomes loves the one-on-one matchups because as a unit, Cincinnati's defensive backs are really good. But you got to get a little pressure. And they have to, they're going to have to get that pressure to kind of alleviate on a one-on-one matchup basis. As good as the unit is, they don't have that one-on-one guy that could shut down a Tyreek Hill. So I expect him to look deep to Tyreek Hill. The thing is this, is that eventually Kansas City's defense is going to be exposed. I don't think they're as good as they've looked. I don't know if Joe Burrow's the guy to do it. And he's coming off a massive game last week. But I see that five points. And I go, Cincinnati is at home. 
with five points. They're in a position where they're not getting any respect. Even after last week, they're not getting respect. And Joe Burrow knows that. I think that Cincinnati is in a spot where they say, we can run the ball with Joe Mixon here, but we can also throw the ball. I think the Cincinnati offense is the, the watch point because Kansas City can get after you, and Kansas City can make life miserable, but they're not a total shutdown defense. They're not that kind of ridiculous shutdown defense. Do I think it hurts them long-term? I do. I think into the future, the Kansas City Chiefs will be hurt long-term. For this game itself, maybe this is a glimpse into that future problem that the Kansas City Chiefs will have. I'm not sold on this defense at all, so I'm leaning Cincinnati in this spot. Cincinnati could win this game. All of a sudden, we all become believers. But since we're talking about the future, let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the future. All right, guys, let's go bet to the future. Bet to the future brings us to the NFL championship odds. I just talked to you about the Chiefs. They might have uh, some question marks, but the betters don't think so. They are 4-1 to one to win it all. The Packers are plus 450. Bucks plus 650. The Bills are back into this thing at 7-1. to one. The Rams are 8-1. to one. Cowboys 10-1. to one. Patriots fell a little bit at 12-1. to one. Colts 15-1. to one. Cardinals and Titans hanging on at 20-1. to one. And that is bet to the future. Yeah, you know, I mean... Look, I say it all the time. I don't love to go kind of double dip and go back into championship odds in the NFL. I don't like to do that during the season. You already kind of, look, you got your teams. You have your situation, right? You already made your plays. Going back in is just a dangerous situation. But if I was going to go back in, I'm gonna let's talk this out. If I was going back in and I really was going to go take a shot here, at what did I? what do I like? You know, the Chiefs and the Packers don't offer anything um, substantial. You know, you look at a, a real idea here, and you go, maybe the Bucks, eh, plus 650. I don't love them. Bills at 8-1. to one. I'm not going to go double dip, but that's a little bit of value. The Rams are starting to look hot, but you have to believe in Matthew Stafford at that point. Cowboys look good at 10-1. to one. That could be a decent one. Patriots fell all the way down to 12-1. to one. Um, do you believe in Mac Jones? I've said that all along. I don't know. I still think the Colts, 15-1, to 16-1, they are an interesting team. And I do think the Titans at 20-1 to 1, with a healthy Derrick Henry could be interesting. I'm looking at, him, at them, and I'm going, they could certainly be an interesting team. All right, let's get back into this week's slate of games here. Arizona-Dallas. Dallas was a two and a half point favorite shot all the way up to six. Everybody's on Dallas. Everybody's loving Dallas. And I understand it. Look, Arizona has looked bad. Arizona has not looked good, uh, you know, for the better part of a month here. And Arizona is coming off of just a humiliating loss. Now they have to go on the road and take on a Dallas team that impressed everybody against Washington. But we still have to look at that Washington game. And we still have to say, look, Washington was missing some key players. Washington also is terrible against the pass. We also kind of knew that was going on. Dallas is a tough team. When Dallas is on, Dallas can be a Super Bowl champion. And maybe that this is the game that kind of the way they wake up. But I feel like everyone's selling on Arizona here. There's like 89% of the money coming in on Dallas. Everyone's selling on Arizona. Everyone is kind of off this boat. I don't believe in Kingsbury, but I don't think he's going to be massively outcoached by McCarthy. I I think Dak right now is not completely out of his slump because he had one game against a depleted secondary, so I worry about that as well. You know, this is a spot where I... 
I'm leaning Arizona. I don't think I'm taking the game because Dallas may have turned that corner. Dallas might be that team. But I need more than one game to convince me. Arizona, I've been down on all year. But this is where you have to have some fluidity in what you do as a sports better. I've been down on Arizona all year long. I've been anti-Arizona all year long. I, I don't believe in Arizona all year long. And now all of a sudden I turn around and I go, yeah, you know what? Arizona plus the points makes a little bit of sense. Um, that's just the reality of, the, of it. And that's kind of what I'm looking at here. Carolina, New Orleans. Saints are six and a half point favorites. It's expected that Hill's supposed to be back for this game. The total, by the way, is is gone down from 40 down to 37 and a half in most spots. You can still get a 38 out there, but 37 and a half in most spots. Carolina's defense um, is is just not as good as I expected them to be. The New Orleans defense is very good. They are going to be at home. They're getting a couple of guys back, and Cam Newton is now 0 thir- oh, 13 against the spread. His last 13 starts. Is Cam Newton the guy? Or is Sam Darnold going to start here? I think that that is a big kind of difference maker. I don't believe in either one of them. I think this is a get-right game for the Saints. I think the Saints could come in. and They can run all over Carolina. And running is something that the Carolina Panthers just flat out don't do well. Hubbard hasn't been able to do well. And if they lose Cam Newton, well, they're just not going to be able to run well at all. The funny thing is, is that over the course of the year, we watched Sam Darnold actually start to pick up the slack and start to be a running quarterback. And we watched Cam Newton, of course, be Cam Newton, which is run first. Yeah, maybe they'll pick up a couple of downs, either quarterback, you know, getting that running game going. But overall, their running game is just, it's just deficient. This is a, you know, a depleted New Orleans team. And I want to say depleted because I don't exactly know who's going to start, who's not going to start. I don't know if it matters. This is a defensive game. I think the Saints shut down Carolina. I think the Saints defense does play really well at home. But it's hard to lay nearly a touchdown in a spot where I don't think either team is going to score a lot. Low-scoring games, I tend to like the points. All right, Denver Chargers. Chargers are six-and-a-half-point favorites. In this game, it's a get-right game for the Chargers against a Denver team that will have Drew Locke back there. They have explosive offensive weapons. I talk about it week in and week out. They have a very good defense. I like it. I do like their coaching. Not a lot that I don't like about Denver, but I certainly don't like Drew Locke. And the Chargers are coming off of an embarrassing loss. An embarrassing loss. You have to go Chargers or nothing here. And this is the the take-a-stand Chargers. Chargers, you lose this game. Denver, you lose this game. I mean, you're eliminated. To me, this is an elimination game. I don't expect the Chargers to be eliminated in this spot. It won't be a lot of home field advantage, but I think that Herbert is just better than what we have seen. It was embarrassing last week. Embarrassing. I think that you look at this spot and you say the Chargers should win, should cover, should handle their business. San Francisco, Houston, San Fran, 12 and a half point favorites over that Houston team that just keeps playing well, just keeps doing their job, just keeps getting up there in Houston. And, and you know, they're overachieving in every facet here. Their quarterback, Davis Mills, is overachieving. Their running game is overachieving. Their wide receiver and their complementary wide receivers, like guys like Nico Collins, is overachieving. Their defense is overachieving. They let go of Zach Gunningham, actually just outright released him recently, yet this defense is overachieving. And you have San Francisco. They were 15-point favorites, down to 12.5, although I do see a lot of money coming in on San Fran. San Fran is hanging on to their last shreds of a playoff hope. They have to win this game. Well, what happened last week against Tennessee? They weren't able to move the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo is vastly underrated, but this team goes as Jimmy Garoppolo goes. And sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. Last week it was bad. 
This time against Houston, I expect a lot of good from Jimmy Garoppolo. But do they just go to a straight running game? And if they go to a straight running game, do you feel confident laying a 12-and-a-half? I still say George Kittle is a nightmare problem. George Kittle had a miserable game last week. I still say Debo Samuel is a nightmare matchup. He had a pretty good game in a loss. So, you know, Garoppolo can't really just focus on him. I think they run the ball. I think they play effectively. I think San Francisco wins. But I've seen too much of Houston in the last couple of weeks here. Too much of Houston to lay 12 and a half with. Houston's playing well for whatever reason. They are playing inspired. They are playing well. And they've been one of the better teams over the past month of the season. Just getting up there and fighting week in and week out. Speaking about fighting week in and week out, how about Detroit and Seattle? I mean, Detroit is a team that just keeps fighting. They wound up last week with a collection of nobodies playing a pretty good game. Seattle, meanwhile, you know, look, they beat up on the Bears. How much of an accomplishment is that? Russell Wilson is laying seven points here. It's Russell Wilson. It's at home. It's in Seattle. We don't expect the winter wonderland that we had. They should beat Detroit. But who is going to be the starting quarterback? Is it Goff? Is it Boyle? I think it's probably going to be Goff coming back. But without Hawkinson and a beat-up Swift, this team is still deplete of... You look at this team, you go, yeah, they just don't have the talent, right? They're still depleted of talent. Seattle's a more talented team. Seattle's secondary can be taken advantage of. I don't know if Detroit is the team to take advantage of that secondary. What I do know, though, is the same thing with Houston. Detroit is going to bring a fight to you. They may not have a road win on the year. They may not win a road game on the year, but they play close every single game. And Seattle is not doing a lot of things well right now. Seattle is still that team that has a bad defense. Seattle's still that team that you could throw the ball on. Seattle's still that team that's having a, a hard time running the ball. So while Metcalf and Lockett and Russell Wilson are the exploring, uh, you know, the, the explosive names, I should say, that could just torch the Detroit team. Look, Detroit is dealing with a lot of injuries on their own. Sure, but they're just playing tough. I don't think Detroit lays down and dies here. I hate to lay the touchdown with Seattle. They're the better team. They should get the win. I don't want to lay that seven, though. All right, another game that was supposed to be a late game. Now it's a, a 1 o'clock game. Baltimore Rams. Look, I don't want to even go into this unless we know if Lamar Jackson's playing. If Lamar Jackson's playing, Jackson and Brown and Bateman and Andrews is enough to pull off the home upset here. The line was two and a half. Everyone's jumping on this at five. If this is Tyler Huntley, maybe they keep the game close. But if it's anybody else back there from Baltimore, you got to pull way off of this game. You know, Baltimore was playing their third string uh, center. They had their fourth string, who was the Jets' third string quarterback last week. I'm not making too much of that game. I'm just not. How do you how do you even go into that game with an intelligent mindset um, without knowing the, the, the quarterback of this game? You can't do it. So just to you know, go out there and say, look, this is a long trip for the Rams. Um, I do believe the early start, the nasty weather bodes well for Baltimore, bodes well for what Baltimore can do and can produce. I'll be all over Baltimore if Lamar Jackson was starting. Even if Huntley was starting, I might jump on this four and a half. I'll, I'll go shop around and find that five at Circus Sports. I'll do that. Um, but I think it's better left to not say too much about this because it's such a vital, vital, important player that we don't know who's going to start at a quarterback. All right, the night games, Green Bay, Minnesota. We know one of my rules in the history of sports betting, you do not bet against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay in December. You don't bet against him. You don't bet against him. You don't bet against him. But <laughs> maybe laying the seven, you could bet it on Minnesota here because Minnesota just keeps every single game close. And Zimmer does a pretty good job against Minnesota, uh, against Green Bay, seemingly every year with this Minnesota ball club. You also have the, the 
mindset that Kirk Cousins is playing really well, but it is Kirk Cousins in prime time, and we know that Kirk Cousins doesn't play well in prime time. We know that Kirk Cousins doesn't usually play well up in Green Bay. Don't know what the weather conditions are going to be like, but right now it's looking not too pretty for the Green Bay Packers and the Minnesota Vikings on that Sunday night game. Well, does that lend to Green Bay or does that lend to Minnesota? Look, I think that Minnesota is going to get some pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Why? Because they have more sacks than any other team in the league. They actually uh, have 48 sacks on the year. That's tremendous. There are about 10 teams that don't even have 30. So Minnesota is going to get after Green Bay. The fact is, is that uh, you come after him, you get after him, Aaron Rodgers can find that open receiver. And when he does start to pick apart that blitz and he comes and attacks the area that you need to get to, it can become an ugly game. I think Minnesota probably keeps this game close, but this is kind of a small spread as well. I just said it before and I'll say it again. I don't bet against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay in December. It's just a foolhardy task to do. So I can't bet against Green Bay, although I kind of think Minnesota can keep this game close. And now we go to the Monday Nighter. And with everything I just said about Monday Night Football, about uh, you know Aaron Rodgers, you don't bet against him, and you don't go that Well, how about this? How about, just very simply, one of the greatest bets that I have made week in, week out, um, year in, year out, I should say, is Ben Roethlisberger against the Cleveland Browns. And Ben Roethlisberger at home against the Cleveland Browns, even tastier. In this spot, Ben Roethlisberger at home against the Cleveland Browns with a playoff position kind of hanging in the bounce. This is an elimination game. And he's also in prime time. And he's also getting three and a half points. I mean, it starts to just come tumbling down. Ben Roethlisberger's 25-2-1 lifetime against the Browns. I mean, it is an unbelievable ownership of a franchise. You want to talk about Aaron Rodgers saying, I own, you know, the Chicago Bears? Well, how about Aaron Rodgers owns the Cleveland Browns. He really does. And you start to break that down and you go, okay, how much credence does that lend to? I know there's sports broadcasters and sports handicappers out there that are going, it means nothing. It's a new year. Yeah, it does, but it's a fun stat. So <laughs> I had to say, it. look, matchup-wise, um, Cleveland's got the better defense uh, against the offense because Pittsburgh's defense is better, but you can run all day on Pittsburgh's defense. And you look at this Pittsburgh defense, they're going to be going up against, what do they do the worst? They don't stop the run. And now you look at this and they're going to go after Chubb and they're going to run it, run it, run it. Kevin Stefanski is going to run it down their throats, guys. That is a nightmare problem. Najee Harris will try to run against Cleveland. I don't know how much success he's going to have. So once again, what this turns around to be, and forget about the Baker-Mayfield conversation. We're all going to have to have that conversation. People are going to talk about Baker. Look, this comes down to, very simply, can Big Ben pass the ball? on the Cleveland secondary because we know that Harris wants to run and we know that Harris is going to be a decent runner in this spot. He just, he's too talented to be completely shut down. So can he go out there and give them something? Can Big Ben rise to the occasion and do what he seemingly always does, which is beat the Cleveland Browns and beat them through the air. He has the wide receivers. He started to trust Claypool again. Deontay Johnson is vastly underrated and a top 10 receiver in this league, in my opinion. You start to look at what Pittsburgh can do. The Cleveland Browns can't score. This total is real low for a reason. The Cleveland Browns are sitting here. They're, they've scored more than 24 points once in the last six games. The total is 41 for a reason. I think this is a low-scoring, cold, maybe a little snow-on-the-field type of game here. That is an elimination playoff game. I'm leaning Pittsburgh strictly because there's the points. But the thing that is keeping me away from really taking advantage here is the fact that the Pittsburgh rush defense is atrocious. 
and Cleveland wants to run the ball with Stefanski and Nick Chubb all day long. So that rushing attack and that inability to stop the rush is keeping me off of this Pittsburgh team, and they're keeping me from saying that Pittsburgh could make a run here and maybe even get into the playoffs. Losers of this game will not make the playoffs. Loser of this game is most likely an under 500 team for the rest of the year. The loser of this game can say bye-bye. I don't think that Ben is saying goodbye to the team that he has owned on his last game in Heinz Field in prime time. I don't think that's the case. But storybook endings don't always come true. Oftentimes, it's, oh, yeah, I remember that. Ben owned the Cleveland Browns his entire career, and then he lost that last game. That's usually the case in sports. So you can't let your emotions get away with you. That running attack, it just worries me. But three and a half, I'm not laying three and a half with Baker Mayfield in primetime going to Pittsburgh in any way, shape, or form. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me. Happy New Year out there from everybody here at SGN. Hope you guys have an amazing 2022. If you stuck with us through 2021, we've made you money, right? I mean, we're profitable. We've made you money, and we will continue to do so in 2022. For myself, Tom Barton, for Gary Polkowski, for everybody here at the SGN Networks, I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back in 2022, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.